All right. So I've titled my message tonight, He's Coming Back, Part 2. This morning we looked at the long introduction of the message, uh, which was titled, He's Coming Back. We read this morning from Matthew chapter 24, that no one knows the time that Jesus will come back to this earth in His second coming. And I mentioned that this morning, that no one knows the time when He will come back and put His feet on this earth. And I referenced Zechariah chapter 14. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 14. It's about two or three books from Matthew going toward the Old Testament. And let's look at just a second what it says there. And this describes the second coming of Jesus to this earth. Zechariah chapter 14. And I am going to give you a little more time tonight. I want you to turn to these scriptures and let's look at them and let's read them. Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 3 and 4. It tells us right there, it says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave, or it will divide, in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north and half toward the south. Now, it tells us what is going to be taken on that day, that Jesus comes and He puts His feet on the Mount of Olives, and I want you to know the, the valley there is going to divide north, east to west, and that's what he te- this is what's going to be happening. And now this is called in the Scripture the day of the Lord. Now me and Johnny was coming, we was coming back from a trip yesterday, and I asked Johnny, I said, Johnny, when you mention the words the day of the Lord, does that sound like something positive or does that sound something like negative? Well, that sounds something positive to me. But listen to what verse number 1, this is Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 1 says, Behold the day of the Lord. Now here, that's the description. The day of the Lord is the second coming of Jesus when He puts His feet on the earth. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst thereof. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses will be rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth unto captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. I want you to know the day of the Lord is not a good day. This is the day that Jesus is going to put His feet on the earth, on the uh, the Mount of Olives, and He is going to speak. And all of those nations that have come up against the nation of Israel is going to be destroyed. The battle of Armageddon is going to be taking place. That is when the blood is going to run to the horse's bridle. I mean, all of this is described in Revelation. The day of the Lord is going to be a day of wrath. He is going to tread the winepress, as it says in Revelation. And that's another sermon for another time. But I mean, so we need to understand the second coming and the rapture are two separate and totally different events. All right, another thing that we explained this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Another thing we looked at and explained this morning is that no one knows the time that Jesus will return. 
No one knows the time that the, when the second coming will be. No one knows the time when he will come back to receive his people in the part called the rapture. And we're going to look at that word in just a minute. But in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, it says this, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Again, we mentioned this this morning, that only God the Father knows the time. Another reference it says that, in, and look down in verse 42, that same chapter, Matthew 24, verse 42. This is what we should be doing, and we'll look at this in a minute. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth cometh. So he tells us what we should be doing while we're waiting. We do not know when it's going to happen, so we should be on watch. We should be ready. That's what he tells us we should be doing. All right, this morning we also determined by the Scriptures that the second coming and the rapture are these two separate events. So let's go ahead and just make sure we know the groundwork. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's read that verse again. I'm going at a much faster pace tonight than I did this morning because these are already scriptures that we looked at. I'm not going to explain them all. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. This is speaking of the rapture. We'll look, again, we'll explain that in just a minute. This is Paul speaking. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Again, if you'll remember this morning, I said, He said, This is a secret I am revealing to you. This is a mystery, because nowhere in the Scriptures... Prior to Paul's appearing on the scene, is the rapture even spoken about? Even in Matthew chapter 25, we're going to notice that there is something missing from this parable because Jesus is faithful to his word to speak to the Jews and he does not speak of what is going to be taking place at this wedding that's going to be taking place because the Jewish people are not of the wedding. They are not the bride, and we're going to see that, and we'll see that in just a minute. But here, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I love hearing you turn in your Bibles to these scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, he is speaking of the rapture here. So we're establishing that there is a rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says this, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." Now, I love this last verse. It says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I want you to know, we can comfort. When everything seems to be falling apart around us, understand that the day is coming when the Lord's going to come and take us out of this mess. We can comfort one another with these words. Now, 
This is where I want to explain where the word rapture comes from. Does, any, does anybody know where the, the word rapture is in our Bible? It's not in there. It's not in there. So, Brother Wayne, tell, can you tell us where that word came from? Well, I'm glad you asked because I can tell you. Look in verse number 17 and look at the... It says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Okay, these two words right here, caught up, when you look them up in the Greek, you can go to the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Strong's Concordance, and it's going to be number 976. And that is the Greek word. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But that word from the Greek is translated into these words, caught up. Now, the translators had a choice of these words. They could have put caught up. They could have put to seize, to take by force, to catch away, to pluck, to snatch, and to catch away. Those were the choices of that Greek word that was used. They could have used any of those words. He said, Then we which are alive and remain shall be plucked up. Or then we which are alive and remain shall be snatched away. All of these words could have been used. But now understand this. After the, the Greek Bible was written, the first language that the Greek Bible was translated into was the Latin Bible, okay? Also, uh, the Old Testament, the first translation that it was translated into was in Latin. Now, when you look in the Latin translation, watch this. That word, would, it's in our Bible, in the King James Version, the word caught up, in the Latin Bible, the word was R-A-P-T-U-R-O. Rapturo. Rapturo. So in the very beginning, when people began to use the Bible that was translated out of the Greek into the Latin, the first group of people that were even reading the Bible when it was made public to most people that could read in Latin at that time, the first word they saw when they read the Scriptures was rapturo or Rapture. Now listen to the Latin meaning of this word. To seize up by force or to snatch up. Now, I want you to be able to, when you read these scriptures, I want us as Christians to give an answer to all of these people who say, well, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Well, you can just look at them and say, hey, well, let me tell you something. When they translated the Bible into Latin, the word right there is rapturo. That's where the word rapture, the word rapture is in the word. That's what it means. It is to snatch away. The Bible tells us that the day is going to come and the trumpet's going to sound and the Lord is going to snatch us, catch us away off of this earth. So when we read and understand that there is a rapture coming, we need to understand that the Bible is teaching this doctrinal principle and understand we do not know the day that that's going to happen. Just like the second coming. This is a mystery. We do not know the time or the place that this is going to happen. God's going to gather His church. And I want us to, to understand something else. Look in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2. And, and, and we don't have time to speak on the purpose that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. 
But he wrote this first letter to the Thessalonians, and he said, the Lord's going to come back, blow the trumpet, man, we're going to go be with the Lord. <laughs> Do you know what a lot of people at Thessalonica done? They quit their jobs and sat on the front porch and began looking to the east. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. <laughs> Paul had to write a letter and say, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. He said, listen, this is not what I told you to do. You continue about your livelihood. And he goes on to say in chapter 2, this is 2 Thessalonians, he had to write to him about, about this same subject. Verse number 1, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, he said, listen, somebody's been writing letters that I said that he, he's already come, or that he is about to be here. Listen, I'm telling you, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you not be shaken in mind. He already told us, use these words to comfort one another. So, this is the reason. This is the reason that we read about this and we understand. And I don't know any other scriptures that you can go to that, or you need any other scriptures that describe and explain to us that there is a rapture. All right. Well, Brother Wayne, why is there going to be a rapture? Why is God going to take the saved out of this world before the day of the Lord comes? In other words, the wrath is being poured out. Well, let's look at two more scriptures in 1 Thessalonians. Just flip back a couple of pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. It says there, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto God, and how, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, who He raised from the dead, even Jesus, hear these words, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He said, when I came here to Thessalonica, he said, man, y'all were worshiping idols. Y'all were worshiping rocks. Y'all were bowing down to something somebody convinced you had power that had no power. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He saved you. He set you apart. He put the Holy Spirit in you. There was a change taking place in your life. Now understand, when He saved us, He saved us from the wrath that is to come. Alright? Now just flip over another page to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. One page in my Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9. There's, there is some meaning to that word... Have you ever been saved? Well, saved from what? Well, saved from your sin. Well, guess what? When you're saved from your sin, you're saved from the punishment or the wrath of sin. This is what he says in verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, he tells us how he did it. Who died for us, that whether we awake or sleep, 
we should live together with Him. In other words, whether you are dead or whether you're alive, the day is coming when we will live with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and forever and forever. So, when we see this, we understand now that there is a rapture. We understand where that word came from. We understand that that is a definite event that is going to take place. And we also understand that that is a separate event from the second coming. So now that the introduction has been completed, it took me 45 minutes and another 15 minutes to get to the introduction to Matthew 25. Let's go to Matthew 25 and let's look at the ten virgins that he talks about here in Matthew chapter 25. Now, understand, understand that when Jesus is writing this or he is speaking this, when he is speaking to the Jewish people, the Jewish people know all of the customs that involve the Jewish people. They understand all the customs. When he refers to ten virgins, and when he refers to their lamps, and when he refers to the oil, listen, they completely and totally understand everything Jesus is talking about. Now, any of you ladies got lamp oil gathered up at the house? Have you got your torches ready? Do, do you call anybody at your house virgins? I, I mean, this, this is not a language that we necessarily or particularly understand so before we begin reading this, let me kind of tell you the custom of the Jewish people. Now, teenagers, y'all listen to this. I think this is great. In the Jewish custom, mama and daddy picked your mate. Mama and daddy picked your mate, and... The mamas of, mama and daddy of the bride, they spoke with the mama and daddy of the groom and said, hey, I think my boy is good for your girl, and yeah, I think my girl will be good for your boy. Do you know what the divorce rate in Israel is? 12% compared to our 50-plus percent. I think they got it right. Because, see, listen, mama and daddy know their daughters, and this mama and daddy knows their son, and listen, you're going to fall in love with somebody you're running around with, whether they're good for you or bad for you. I'm telling you, and I know y'all don't want to hear this, mom and daddy knows what's best for you. All right? Mom and daddy really do. When they say you need to dump that boy, you need to listen to mom and daddy. Okay? So, but now watch, watch. The marriages were arranged. Mom and daddy picked a boy out. I want you to know... Sometimes a little old 10-year-old girl knew who she was going to marry sometimes six, seven, eight, ten years before they got married. And this young man knew who he was going to marry sometimes eight, ten years before they got married. And they had made this arrangement. They had talked it out. They had talked about what's going to take place and when it was going to take place. And when this young man learned a trade, and when he was able to provide for his wife, and only then were they allowed to even date, or what we would call dating, were allowed to even court one another or see each other. And then the father of the son or the groom would say, Okay, son, when you get your house built and when everything is in order and you have 
my approval and only when I say it's okay can you go and get your bride. This was their custom. So I want you to know, the boy was over there and I mean he's working hard. Ooh, baby, when I get this thing fixed, it's going to be a great place. I can't wait to go and get my wife. And Daddy would walk out there and say, Son, you got these studs three feet apart. They need to be 16 inches apart. No, you're not ready. Go back and do it again. Or the son may go out there and throw up a pup tent and say, Daddy, I'm ready. He said, No, son, you ain't ready. That ain't good enough. So the son had to get the approval from the father before the son could go and get his bride. Now, does that sound familiar to anything else in the Scripture? Where only the father knows when the son is allowed to go back. And in John, I mentioned that this morning, John chapter 14, he says, he says, and I go and I prepare a place for you. Fits perfectly into the custom of the Jewish people. So now watch this. And this is where we're getting into our scriptures tonight. When the father said, okay, son, I have walked through the house. Everything is just right. It's time for you to go and get your bride. Now, take, take a time out again, okay? Now, do you remember what I was talking about Pompeii this morning? And how they got warning signs that this volcano was going to erupt and they the people did not adhere or listen to the warning signs. The earth was trembling. The earth was rumbling. The smoke was coming out and they were, de- were, were, were destroyed because they didn't take the warning signs. Understand, they knew it was coming and they didn't pay any attention. Watch this. I want you to know that that bride that is sitting inside the city is getting reports. Hey, I just want you to know he got the slab poured. All right. Hey, I walked by last week, and the walls are up. I saw him. He was putting the roof on. The shingles are down. I want you to know the bride is beginning to get excited because I want you to know as she sees the signs of these things coming together, she understands it's not going to be long now. It's not going to be long. Hey, baby, I saw him moving in furniture the other day. There wasn't teenagers here. I'd say something else right there, but I... I won't. Hey, the furniture's going in. Y'all should be able to get ready now. Understand, this is fixing to take place. I want you to know, the bride in preparing had to sew her own dress. Now, if she waited till she saw the furniture to go in and say, Mama, I need the sewing machine, let me tell you, she's all probably waited way too late. But I want you to know, probably as a 13-year-old, and in five years, I think I'm going to probably get a chance to get married... I think she started on that wedding dress way back then. Because, I mean, she was anticipating. She was getting ready. She was getting prepared. So understand, now this is what happened. The bride sees that her new husband-to-be is about ready. He does not announce like we announce, sending out invitations, 7 o'clock on a Friday night, this one's going to be joined in marriage, and this one... No, 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 no. That's not the way it took place. This is the way it took place. And we're going to see this in the Scripture. When he got ready and when the daddy said, Okay, son, go. He had already told his bride groomsman, uh, the best men, his groomsman, he would say, Okay, guys, are y'all ready? And it was, it was normal to have 10, 15, 20 groomsmen 
because they were fixing to march into the city as a parade. They came into the city with a trumpet, and following the groomsman was the groom. And when they walked into the city, that is when they blew the trumpet. Now watch this. What if there are five or six brides inside the city that are awaiting their husband to come and retrieve them, and they don't know who just blew the trumpet? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Slip on the dress. Get my little lamp ready. Run out there. Oh, it's Joe. I was hoping it was George. <laughs> Go back to the house. But that's the way it was. Listen, they did not know when he would arrive. They did not know when he would come. Now, in just a second, we're going to get to the Scripture, and I think it's going to all come together for you when we read it. The bride had to be ready. Jesus is so trustworthy to His Word. Do you know who He's talking to in this Scripture? The Jews. Do you realize that in this parable that we're about to read, I hope all of you read it today before you come to church, but this parable that we're about to read, He never mentions the bride. Do you want to know why He never mentions the bride? Is it, are the Jews the bride of Christ? You know why they're not the bride of Christ? They rejected Christ. The church, and we the scriptures bear this out, the church is the bride of Christ. Is the church Jew or Gentile? Jesus is so kind to his fellow Israelites. He is sitting here and he is talking about this and he never mentions the bride. He never mentions the bride. All he mentions, and we're going to look at this, the virgins that he is referring to here are the bride's maids. Are the bride's maids. Now, understand. Understand, in order to be a bride maid, if you had already been married, you, could not, you did not qualify to be a bride's maid. You had to be a virgin. So when we read this here and we see virgins, understand this. They understood. The Jewish people understood exactly. When he said virgins, he knew that they were talking about the bridesmaids. Okay? We don't understand that because we're not Jewish. We don't understand this custom. So we're fixing to read this. Would y'all like me to go ahead and get to it and read it? But listen, when, when we read this, we're going to understand that not only did the bride have to be prepared, but the bride's maids had to be ready for that trumpet to sound, and they had to get ready because the, the duty and the, the, the part the bridesmaid played is when he got his bride and he took them to the wedding ceremony, the bride's maids were there to celebrate this reunion between the bride and her groom. The bridesmaids were to do this. They were to be prepared to do the celebration. So what we're fixing to read 
is what are we supposed to be doing until Jesus comes back? What are we supposed to be doing? That's what this parable is all about. You see why I didn't have time this morning? Let's read. Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 1. And I'm going to have to do commentary as we go along. But notice in verse 1 it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened into ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, everything that was said in that first verse, the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, this is the way it is going to operate when the kingdom of heaven is coming into place. Understand, this is the way it's going to be operating. What's the, uh, the prayer? It says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. He says, The kingdom of heaven is likened to ten virgins that took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, here we are. I just explained what's taking place. The, uh, the, bride, the groomsmen, the groomsmen are marching into the city, followed by the groom. The trumpet is blown. These ten maid, bridemaid, bridesmaids are now ready. They've got their lamps, they've got some oil, and they are getting ready for the celebration that is about to take place. They know when the trumpet sounds that the the groom is headed to the bride's house to receive her. The groomsmen are the parade that is uh, escorting him to her house. Here they go. When they hear the trumpet, they gather their lamps. They light their lamps. They're headed to the bride's house or the place that the ceremony is going to take place. But they're headed there. They're getting ready because they're going to be the ones that's going to be celebrating and dancing at the feast. So this is what's taking place. They went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. How do we know which ones were wise and foolish? They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now, when I went back and I studied the custom that was taking place, the lamp was either a a small lamp that had a wick system that had oil, and they had to go... And, And listen, the amount of celebration they could do was as long as their lamp was lit, they could celebrate. When their lamp went out, their celebration time was over. They were no longer allowed to celebrate when their lamp went out. They had to have enough oil not only to get from where they were to the groom of the bride's house, but they also had to have enough to escort the bride to the groomsman's house to have this feast, this celebration, where the groom has built his house. They had to go back there. If they didn't have enough oil, then they were not going to be able to celebrate. They were not going to be able to join into the marriage feast and the marriage celebration had they not had enough oil. Five were wise because they brought enough oil. In other words, when the Lord blows the trumpet, they were completely and totally prepared for when that time comes. Now, watch what the rest of the scripture says. 
They that were foolish took their lamp, but they took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Now, I want you to know that is not a negative thought right there. Listen, we as Christians, we do not know the time or the hour that Jesus will come. Some of us are going to be at work, maybe. I mean, when I look around, old Terry's going to start work next week. Uh, and, and he told me this morning, he's the next four Sundays, I won't be able to be here because I'll be at work. Some of you work night shifts. Some of you work day shifts. Some of you work evening shift. Listen, some of us is going to be at work. Well, is that, is that a bad thing? No. As long as you're prepared. As long as you've got oil in your lamp. As long as when the trumpet blows and the, and the voice is sounded and he says, come up here. As long as you are born again, as long as you have prepared for the time that the the groomsman comes, listen, you're ready. But these five foolish women, or these five foolish virgins, they didn't have any oil. Listen, they knew the day was coming. But they were more interested in doing what they wanted to do. They were living their life for themselves. Listen, they enjoyed the company of Christian people. They just didn't want to commit to the Christian life. But let me tell you, when the trumpet sounds and the other ones take off and go with the Lord, I want you to know you're going to say, Hey, wait a minute, give me some of your oil. Wait a minute, I'm not ready for this. I've been having a good time going to church with you, but hey, I didn't know if this was what was going to happen. I, I, I want some of your oil now. And he said, oh, Wait a minute, you go find your own oil now. Go find your own oil. Hey, listen. (laughs) I I didn't know whether to use this illustration or not. Y'all know I like to fish. Before I go fishing, especially if I'm going to go two or three days, I get all my bait together. And I've got enough bait to fish three or four days. And if the fellow that I'm with says, Oh, wait a minute, Brother Wayne, I didn't bring enough bait. Can I use some of your bait? And I'm going, Hey, listen, buddy, you go find your own bait. I brought enough for me to fish for the week. If you want some bait, because if I give you some of my bait, I'm not going to be able to finish either. Listen, you need to prepare. That's what this was happening right here. These ladies were saying, the wise lady said, Listen, If I give you some of my oil to just get us there, then when we get there, I'm not going to be able to celebrate once we get there because I've given you my oil. You go find some oil. Buy us, find somebody to to celebrate with you or that'll sell you some oil. Listen to the rest of the scripture. While the the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And again, that's not a negative thing. He is letting us know that we need to be ready at any time. And at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. Then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so. Least there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy... The bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him 
to the marriage, and the door was shut. Now, again, do you see how great Jesus said and spoke this? Again, he has never mentioned the bride. He says in that last verse I read, he says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. He never mentions the bride. He shows us that there is going to be a marriage ceremony that takes place, but he never indicates that the Jewish people are of the marriage ceremony. What are the Jews doing at this marriage ceremony? They are the ones that are celebrating this marriage between the Son of God and the Church of God, the ones that by faith have accepted Him as their Messiah or His their Savior. We have accepted Him, for by grace are you saved through faith. The Jewish people are there to celebrate the marriage supper of this union between Jesus Christ and the church. And they have been called to celebrate. I, I want us to notice something else here. I want us to notice something else here. It does not, like in many of this, the, the parables that Jesus speaks about, the ones that are rejected at the door, you'll notice that many of these are referring to and they were cast out and there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, it indicates that they were unsaved people and they are being punished. In this case, we do not see this. In this case, it simply identifies those people who were not prepared for this. Let's finish this. Verse number 10, and we'll read through verse 13. And while they went to buy... The bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, or the bridesmaids, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and he said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, this whole message for the whole day that we have spoken of, the whole message is simply to tell us as Christians, come on, guys, let's be ready. What's, what's that song? Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. What that is telling us, we need to be prepared. We need to be living our life totally acceptable unto Christ. We should be able, when Jesus Christ comes, we shouldn't be surprised. We should be looking. We should be watching. We should be vigilant. We should be ready. And it shouldn't surprise us. Again, the, the, they knew that the house was almost completed. They knew. They knew to be ready. They knew to get ready. They knew to have lamps all in their... And I am telling you, in our society today, when we look around and we see all of the things that are taking place, yes, sir, the, the ground is trembling at His arrival for the rapture. Now, I wish I had time to go into this. 
A lot of people are wanting to know the signs that Jesus is coming. Listen, he gives signs to the Jews. He doesn't give us Gentiles signs of his coming. He gave us the Holy Spirit. So we, we should be living. We should be storing up oil in our lamps. We should be ready. We should never be surprised. And then just like it tells us in 1 Thessalonians, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. I was telling our, our group Wednesday night, I, I'm so excited that we, as a church, we recognize the needs of people around us. And when we recognize the needs of the people around us, we, in turn, comfort one another, sending cards, making phone calls. That is what we are to do. Get that oil. Encourage one another. Build ourselves up. Don't let us be discouraged. I, I just, it just troubles me to see people fall out of church because of a, a situation or a circumstance that takes place or, or they don't like the song service or they don't like the preacher. Hey, man, if the Lord leads you somewhere else, go. That's, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. But so many times that happens, and I have seen it here over the last seven years. I, oh, my goodness, I can make you a list of 30, 40, 50 people that have gotten mad at me. They don't like my style of preaching. They, uh, they didn't like this, or the music's not exactly what. Man, I'll tell you what. If you're here to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you've come to the right place. If you've, if you've come here to, to get a certain message or a certain way or to be man we're here to please the lord not not our not individuals we're here to please the lord and whatever it takes to do that that's what we want to do all right anybody got any questions did i explain that so well that there is absolutely no questions or have i generated so many questions you don't know where to start <laughs>